Welcome to The Main Edit, a podcast that's all about building standout salon brands. I'm your host, Mickey Old, and I'm a small town girl who dropped out of school and built a wildly successful salon brand from the ground up. Head over to mickeyauld.com to learn more, but in the meantime, let's jump right in. Hi, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to chat to you. Me too. Love a podcast. Thanks for having me today. Of course. I have followed your journey for a long time now. So I would love if we can just start by getting to know you a little bit more, um, who you are, what your salon is, how long you've been in business, your business story, basically. So if you can give us a little bit of a background um, to, into sure. all of that. I'll try, I'll try to nutshell it because it would take us all day. Um, So I've got a salon in Perth, Australia. Um, Mm -hmm. You can tell by my accent, I'm not from here. I'm actually from Canada. I moved here about 15 or 16 years ago, starting to lose track. Um, And I started my journey as a salon owner in 2010. So I've been working for myself for 14 years now. Um, I've got a salon in Alfred Cove in Perth, which I have had I've had, I went out on my own in 2010, but I probably started having my own team in 2012 and have grown it now to there's about 16 of us in the salon. Um, and then I have a, another brand, which is an e-com brand where it's like a vintage style hair rollers and accessories. And now I am also starting a um, starting more of a digital, digital product brand. So... I started out as a salon owner in 2010, took on my team, has grown from, you know, we had it in one space first and we moved out, grew there and we had our second or technically my third space. So I started in 2010 working from my house and um, we had in that salon, there was four chairs and two basins when we left. So it was like underneath our house and it was still really like a granny flat sort of style. That's when it, the nest really began. So the reason we called it the nest is because it was more of that, like that homey sort of feel to it. It had very like vintage sort of retro vibes, which is something that I've always really loved. Um, And then we outgrew that or actually my, the owners of the house were selling. So we had to leave and I decided to get, get a commercial space because it was really my only option. And I was absolutely shitting myself about it because I went from like a 40 square meter space to a hundred square meter space. And even though it's always what I wanted to do, I don't think I really truly believed that I was going to be able to do that. Like it seemed quite crazy to me that I was taking on this next challenge. Um, so anyways, we moved into, it was like across the street. It had been sitting there, I remember for months and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything. And I found this, this place, it was like down a little laneway. Um, and it was a total shithole, like total shithole. Mm-hmm. Like the, the lights were hanging on this, the ceiling with strings, the, the oh, flooring was painted on with acrylic paint and, you know, to look like floorboards. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a massive job. So we redid that place and we kept kind of the quirkiness of my first, um, salon so we could still move, you know, my clients were used to like this, like at home, um, kind of feel to it, even though it was very quirky and very much still a salon. um, It definitely had like a hominess to it that I wanted to recreate. So we did that again in the next salon um, and we quickly grew. I quickly grew our team to, I think there was about 10 of us when we, 10 seemed to be the magic number in that place that it was like every time we'd get to like 11 or 12, we would lose one or two, or we'd have this like revolving door and 10 was like the amount of people that we'd have in that new space. So that got, um, got really busy. And eventually it just got to a point where I felt like I just needed more for my, for my clients and for my team. It was just like, we weren't getting any less busy. It was too tight in there. And then COVID happened and it really made you feel like, the space was too small for us to be operating the way that we were. 
So we found another space across the road, literally like, I just keep moving about 500 meters away from the last place. Good, moved well, less, less yeah, uh, to travel, like you don't have to go as far, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. I mean, one of the clients was like, oh, you know, it's just way less convenient for me when I drive home because I have to go right instead of left and I can't go right out of the car park. And I'm like, baby, like, I could have went so much further. I literally am just yeah. on the other side of the road. Um, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, so we, we found a place um, across the street. So I seem to like to take these really old buildings and mm. then them apart and um, redo them. One, because the rent is a lot cheaper. That's my mm -hmm. biggest thing is... I always had um, starting out, I was so scared of like having a commercial place that my thing was, if I can't pay the rent myself, I can't take it because yeah. I was always so fearful of having like a fucking salon walkout. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to like manage a team. I hadn't managed a team before. What if they all hate me? What if yeah. I fuck up and everybody just wants to leave at one time? Like you don't know if you're going to be that salon owner until you're doing it. Right. So oh, absolutely. Like, you know, and you're just like, you've heard of these things happening, or maybe you've worked at places where it has. And I'm like, if that happens to me, I need to be able to pay the rent. So I took mm -hmm. this other shop. It had like four shops. Um, it had four shops connected to it. One was a, a costume shop. One was a, a florist. And then another one was like an old, um, really old school salon. And we knocked the walls out of that one. And then um, so we took four small shops and it's quite a narrow building. And then we made it into one um, one shop. And so we we doubled it in size. So now it's 200 square meters, which Gosh. I feel like is like now like a, it's a good it's kind of the perfect size for us that it has like mm -hmm. enough room when it's still busy. It's still hectic in there, um, but it's still like on other days. Um, it has just created a little bit more breathing room and stuff, which has been really nice. So we've been in there now for a couple, um, yeah, a couple years. And um, that's that. And then, you know, as soon as I get five minutes, I start another business. And um, yeah. I don't like things easy, apparently. Uh, I'm a bit the same. So what, um, what made you decide to go out and to build uh, hair products and, and all of that? I've seen all of your vintage hair products. Very, very cool. When did you identify, I suppose, a gap in the market? Um, and how long have you been doing that side of your business? So I think I, I constantly find that there's like a gap in the market with our retail and aesthetically what things look like. Mm -hmm. I like I have a certain aesthetic you could spot like my aesthetic like it's it every time I create something else it seems to have the same kind of feeling to it whether I try to or not and so I have like a, I guess a certain aesthetic and stuff that I like which I call an eclectic mix of things I like it's not yeah. a you know it's not boho or shabby chic <laughs> or vintage and um I, you know, I like really pretty things. I feel like I have a really good eye for stuff that is like aesthetically pleasing and makes you feel a certain way and excited and all that. And um, I guess with creating the Charlie brand, it was more about a, I wanted to have another income stream because I, I've got to be honest, I'm sick of relying on just a service-based industry um, mm -hmm. for revenue. And I don't want to, you know, when you have a bad week in a salon and your team's down or COVID goes through the salon, like it really, really affects you, you know, whereas like when you have a brand that you can still be making money in your sleep, it doesn't matter if people are sick or not, or if they can't service somebody, you're still going to be getting those sales. And I think I just really wanted to diversify so that I have less stress on my salon business and yeah. i don't have to i guess be constantly just fucking grinding that day in mm -hmm. day out you know like if we have a slower week it's fine i've got another revenue source coming in i think it makes me a little bit less um of like you know a sarge in there being you know trying to really hammer on um our kpis and stuff all the time because the girls all the girls all work hard and stuff anyway so anyways i wanted to have another income stream i wanted to create something um 
And then when I found um, the rollers and decided to do that, I was like, you know, this works so well because A, I have always been into vintage stuff and I really had a strong feeling of like what I would want that brand to look like. But mm -hmm. the rollers, and that's what has blown up. That's not even what I was creating. So I'm manufacturing something in the back end, um, a, like a, a color product. And the rollers is just supposed to be like a soft lunch product. They were just supposed to be something to just start making some traction, getting your brand out there. But because they've gone so crazy, I've kind of put the other thing on the back burner. And I'm like, let me just like sell everybody in the world a set of rollers before I, before I move on to that next thing, right? Because they're trending. Um, and yeah, so I just, I'm really, really enjoying like learning a different avenue and learning about e-com and having to just do something different because at the end of the day, like I've been hairdressing since I started my career um, learning in 2000. So like 24 mm -hmm. years. And although like, I still love it, like I love those days in the salon and, and I love working with my team. I'm kind of somebody that always wants to be learning, always wants change, always wants, um, you know, to be adapting. And, you know, I feel like there's so, there's so much that you can be doing and growing in a salon, but I feel like having that other avenue really even adds to the interest of like our salon business and being a part of something else. And it's really cool because sometimes like we'll have the girls will come over and they'll be doing some stuff with the Charlie brand and they'll be over at the where at our warehouse doing stuff and like just creates like a little bit more interest around like for our team and like mm -hmm. our team to be a bit proud of that we're not just your average salon that we're like, you know, that their, their employer is like a creative thinker and, and doing these other things and still in the industry and stuff. So yeah, um, it's just like creating that diversity, I think for my own job as well. And just like, yeah, starting to, is that, that is beeping at us. Yeah. Just really creating, um, yeah, diverse diversity in, in my job and, um, revenue elsewhere so mm -hmm. yeah it's been it's definitely taught me a lot though because you know you think oh i'll just i'll just get this stuff in and i'll just start selling it and you sell it and you're like sweet and it's like i had sold you know over a hundred thousand dollars worth of rollers and didn't have any money in the bank account and yeah. you're going oh how have i sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of fucking rollers <laughs> i have no money in that in there right so like, wow. that has been really fun to learn because you've got to basically it's yeah, you don't make money as fast and as easily as you would think. And then when you look at another brand blowing up or somebody doing something, you always think, oh, they'd just be like cashing in and they must be doing so well. And it's like, I know the back end of a salon and I know how much money is not in the profit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's just interesting because you still go into something, um, even as a business owner, thinking that it might be one way and you might be, you know, it's like before you start working for yourself and you think, oh, I'm charging this much for hair. I'm going to be making this much. And it's not until you're actually doing it and seeing the books that you really see it. And so now I'm going through that with the e-com and realizing like how much money is really to be made and like the amount that we spend on our marketing. So, um, you know, in a, in a salon, typically, I mean, it, it would be a lot if you were spending 10% of your revenue on marketing, that would be really, really high. If you were spending 10% on advertising in e-com, it's normal to spend 20 to 30% of your revenue on your advertising. Yeah. So right. it's very like, you know, you're, you're spending thousands of dollars a week on your Facebook ads and things like that. So, um, just learning all that and then being able to compare, like, this is what I spend in my salon. It was really hard to go like, oh, I would not spend that much money on my salon advertising. And then starting to realize, like, if what if I did spend that much money on my salon advertising, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you'd, you'd need more salons, really, because they just blow up, basically. But, yeah, it's been really interesting just finding, like, yeah, the what you have to do and, and scaling a, scaling an e-com and having to, you know, you take you get 100 grand, you're putting that all back into product and rebuying and just, like, expanding mm -hmm. the brand. 
And then where do you stop? Like, where do you stop scaling and actually starting to take some money from it and profit, you know? And, and, and what do you want? Like, you know, I have had to get to a point to go, is what I want a huge warehouse or warehouses, like other warehouses and, and managing warehouses? Is that what I want for my life? Not really. You know, yeah. so I have to now go, okay, how much do I want to sell a month? How much do I want to make a month? from mm-hmm. this brand and then go that's what i that's what i want to do and this is how much product i need to keep on and, and if we sell out that's fine but it's like having that limit um for myself because i also don't want to be stuck with a million dollars worth of rollers no when, when has them you know <laughs> and you're like i'm ready to make some money now but like the whole world has a set already different trend now no yeah. um that's amazing. I think it's really clever to diversify, um, you know, your income. I think that's something that I've definitely been focusing on as well. And I'm seeing it happen more in our industry, or at yeah. least like with a select group of people. And I think it is clever because I know for me, um, you know, I really love working in hair as well. I've, do- I've been in the industry for about 16 years, so not quite as long as you, but I, I'm a very forward thinker. And I know that in, you know, 20 years time, I'm not going to want to um, exchange my time um, and that physical labor for like money. I will want to diversify and I want to be a mom and I want more flexibility. Um, so I, I think that's so smart. How did you go about creating rollers? Like, did you have contacts in manufacturing in that space? Like, and then knowing how to build out websites and and all of that, like for anyone that might be interested in yeah. Yeah. building products or anything like that. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you so, approach it? Uh, I think the good thing is, is because I've obviously had experience and had a website and I've always been, I know that you're heavy on like your website. I, I've always been quite, um, my website has always been a top priority to me. Um, I say to so many people, like there's so many people that have these great little businesses and their mm. websites are shit. And it's mm. like, why, like this is the door to your business. That is yes. what people are looking at. It's not even just your Instagram. It's beyond that. The next thing they're going to look at is their website. Why wouldn't you spend, you should be spending more money on that really mm-hmm. or time than anything else, um, you know, market wise, because that's what's going to get your conversions at the end, whether yes. they're booking or buying a product. Um, so I think I had like the benefit of I've been doing it a while it would have been, my website would look totally different if I had never had a website before, you know, if this was my first yeah. thing that I'd ever done for myself. Um, and I had somebody that worked with me and does Shopify websites and she, you know, she did it for us. Um, but it's really easy now, like with Shopify and that you can really easily create, um, create a website and that kind of thing. Um, I've got a website for the nest with WordPress. And then I have a website with Shopify for my e-com store. And I do find them like very different. And there's, I haven't, um, do you use Shopify or, or for I your, use Squarespace. you sorry? I use Squarespace for my website. Okay. Um, but I have, I have been told that Shopify is definitely the best website platform for like e-commerce. Brands. So the only thing that I find with it, so I've, I had my website redone for the nest. And mm-hmm. it's still sitting there. It's been sitting there for over uh, probably 18 months. And I've never pressed go on it <laughs> because I, because I love my original website. And this mm-hmm. is the only problem is I feel like everybody's going Shopify. And if you're an e-com brand and you're selling a product, fine. But when mm-hmm. you're selling a service, you need yeah. to stand out differently than looking like another Shopify store. Like Shopify yeah. is called shop because everybody's shopping on there. So it looks, everything kind of looks the same. Um, yes. My girlfriend, um, Chantel from Viva La Blonde, she's had somebody code her Shopify site and it looks amazing. And she has no idea how they did it. And it looks doesn't look mm-hmm. like a Shopify site at all and paid a lot of money to have that done. But I think, um, yeah, website-wise, it's easy enough to build on Shopify and then you have to just be good at like taking pictures or getting photos and just like really knowing the brand in terms of like the products themselves. Like once you start, I mean, let's be honest, 
the rollers are made in China, you know, mm -hmm. everything like that is going to be made in China, but you have to, you know, you start talking to suppliers, you get better at it. Um, yeah. you, it, it's definitely a, probably the biggest challenge is just like communicating with, um, you know, with overseas and stuff and not mm -hmm. getting, um, not, yeah, like you, you'll get something in sometimes and it's not what you want it or yes. it doesn't look that way, or it looks cheap, or um, anything, and kind of navigating um, navigating that. And I think that that's, I think that's fine for the nature of what I'm selling, whereas like when you're, say, selling something cosmetic that needs to go on somebody's skin or hair, um, a lot of the time you want to start that from like within Australia, so you can navigate that a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so anyways, I had somebody that was helping me with the website. She helped me start up Charlie. We just we just basically just started that up. And then I, um, yeah, just started kind of, I shot my own, my first products myself. I've always wanted to do like photography and that. When I was pregnant with mm -hmm. my first baby, I bought um, this photographer here. I bought all of his gear off him because he was moving to Sony and I bought all of his stuff. And I had it and I still have it. I have like, I've got like eight fucking lights. I have no idea how to use them. Like I just have like all this photography shit. And I was pregnant at the time and just feeling very ambitious. Like, oh yeah, as soon as this baby's out, I'm just, you know, I'm going to become a photographer and I'm going to shoot my team's collections and stuff like that. And um, I ended up at least being able to like shoot our own product stuff and, and doing that and learning kind of as we go. So I shot some of my own products and then we did, we eventually, after we got started and started making a few sales, then I invested in like a better photographer um, to come and like shoot the brand and had a better idea of like what my brand was and how I wanted mm -hmm. it to look and all that. Um, and also just with that and navigating that, like I listened to lots of podcasts, like lots of podcasts about e-com and what to have on your landing page, how to market, things like that. And those are the kind of things that I feel like are the most helpful into, you know, just educating yourself and learning how to um, how to do what you're doing, you know, because yeah. everybody has to start somewhere. I mean, the, the way that my my page looked on its first, you know, when it first launched it to now is completely different. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps evolving and keeps getting better and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been like, yeah, a huge huge learning curve and, and just the differences of the, of the website and what's important. And, and, you know, looking into like your conversion rates and your ROAS and, and all these things that before when people would talk about, it, I was like, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. Um, but it's really exciting. And I feel like knowing that is starting to make it better and understanding, like I think about my salon differently now, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, my my position at, at the salon now i say like i i'm in sales you know i'm no, I'm no longer the hairdresser in my team i'm in sales mm -hmm. I'm, I'm selling an experience and a service to new people and my pride my main job is to make sure that we're we are still getting that and we are still you know marketing effectively and that kind of thing where my job is no longer you know um just managing the team and um doing hair that's like the yeah. you know not really part of my job anymore yeah right so yeah. how is your team structured now so you've got 16 people still with the nest is that yeah correct? yeah so we have um so there's myself we just we're actually just looking for another coordinator so our coordinator um just left what I was finding with selling coordinators is we have a coordinator a reception on, and if they leave, you're kind of screwed because you mm -hmm. usually just have one of them doing yes. that, um, doing that job. So what I've done and one of the things, so I've also, I'm starting a digital, uh, digital brand and prob and part of the, the digital products that I'm selling are basically tools that salon owners can use in order to like delegate things to their team. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard me talk about, like, I'm, I'm quite into like AI and that kind of thing, um, in terms of our business and 
So I have sort of taken that and gone. So my, my coordinator left a little while ago. We're looking for another one now, but I got to a point where I'm like, I'm so over every time this position leaves because it can be a position that can be turnover sometimes more than you'd like. Sometimes we'll get somebody and they're there for six years. Sometimes we'll get somebody and they're there for one year. You know, it's just, um, but when they leave, everybody's really impacted by it. So yeah. I, one of the things that we have now developed and something that we're just about to launch, it's called quit proof. And it's something that I've kind of developed in order to be able to use on our front desk so that whether we have a coordinator there or not, that everybody knows how to do everything. There's systems and processes that are all really easy to find um, and team to navigate. Um, so it basically future proofs my business to whether somebody is there or not. So right now, so normally I would have a coordinator um, on my front desk, but I guess I have what I would, um, not that it's like AI, but it's, you know, we have a system that we use so that everybody um, can stay on top of things and be all in the know and communicate really effectively in a team, whether we have somebody on the front desk or not. So, but normally we'd have a coordinator on our team that coordinator really manages the team for me. And then we have a floor manager who manages more of the hair side, helps with like, you know, if we have any complaints or redos or, or on the technical side with hair that they have a better understanding of what's going on um, that way. Because I find unless you have a coordinator on the floor that's a hairdresser, you really need somebody in your management team that, um, understands hair understands you know you know if you have a, a client complaint of what is a tangible um you know how are you going to rectify it because yeah. if you have somebody that doesn't understand hair and just offering to fix it sometimes it's not a fixable situation or you know so just having somebody that really is hair focused on our floor as a manager and then really like my senior stylists have been there most of them have been there for quite some time Mm -hmm. um, I find because we do like a profit share system in the salon that they are really have a good sense of ownership. I don't, I don't really have to manage my seniors very much, you know, it doesn't, they really look after kind of their own clients and their own stuff. And then they, you know, and then they pass down their knowledge and stuff to our juniors so that we've got one of our team, one of our seniors does the education. So she does our, um, our training with our junior team. And now we've got our junior team who we've got like um, three third years, um, almost four, four third years. And then um, we've got a bunch of people underneath them. And now it's kind of their job to train the younger juniors. So it kind of just all flows nice. down that way. Um, I do find that it's really helpful that a lot of the, a lot of my seniors have been there for a while they know the drill they know you know they have expectations like for the salon and what they want and um often i find that they just kind of manage um manage themselves unless there's like an issue arises which is not very often you know i think having like a really good team that you trust even if something goes wrong um yeah it's like a couple times a year where, where you have to have a conversation about something but most of the time it's pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, amazing. So what do you um, what do you think is key to um, I guess uh, staff retention and making sure that your seniors stay on with you for longer? When you bring new seniors in, do you start them at a lower like profit share arrangement and then build them up to receive yeah. more down the track? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So when I build, so I do a couple different things when I, when I take somebody on, um, I want them to be able to hair wise, be able to service our clients the same way anybody else can. So I put them through a little bit of a program where they do like a six weeks induction program where they have, um, they do some models and stuff with us. I usually, I'm like, this is the most you'll see me on the floor. I usually do a couple of models with them to start because I want to check what their techniques are like, give them some pointers, set them off on the right foot. And then we do a six week induction where they basically get a head colorist to help them with every consult before they start. So they need like an okay before they start on our clients. Yeah. Um, kind of, it really kind of gets them like, um, I think all just working really well together and then kind of, 
cuts down any ego right from the beginning because everybody asks everybody questions and asks them for help and stuff. So once they've done their induction process, so the first six weeks they're on, we do no commission for like no profit sharing for the first six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that really gives us time. I mean, to be honest, I don't really usually make that in the first six weeks anyways, because there's more training. They're blocked off to do, you know, product training. They've some often I always tell people I'm like, you'll probably get a couple of redos in your first like month or two. It's just mm -hmm. you know, we've got really high expectations and a, and a really good reputation. And it's often simple, simple, easy mistakes and that. But you probably will get them and you'll learn from it. And, you know, and, and it happens to everybody. I'm like, who doesn't get a who doesn't get um, a redo every once in a while, right? So, um, yeah, so once they start that, we put them on a profit share system where they get a percent, um, a percent of the profit of, sorry, mm -hmm. the, they get a percent of their services. So mm -hmm. they'll get a percent and then on their pay slip, I always say like they have their, they have their wage to fall back on, but we do like, okay, so say you were getting 32% of your services. Mm -hmm. If you were paid, if you did four grand worth of services that week and 32% was 640, what is that? 1380, um, 13, uh, yeah, about 1380. So say it equaled up to 1380 mm -hmm. of dollars and your paycheck was a thousand dollars, you'd end up getting like 380 on your pay slip as profit for the week. So yeah. we basically give a percent of their services. Um, and then it's divided on their pay slips by like their hours, how much they worked, um, how many hours they worked. And so they always have that to fall back on. So yeah. it means really that if they were really busy three days a week, three days out of their, they all work four days a week, but if they're really busy on their three days a week and their fourth day fell apart, because mm -hmm. the commission is based on one week, um, it all kind of like evens out that mm -hmm. way. So um, they kind of know and feel like it's, I feel like it's more achievable because it's not monthly. I feel yeah. like monthly, you know, paying out profit monthly, if they had a bad week, um, would just kind of set them off to, to failure a little bit if something was to happen. But yeah, so the longer my team have been there, um, whether they've been there, you know, that your first, um, you're on a certain rate for the first year, and the second year is different, third year, fourth year, and then you get to a point where we just end up raising your prices um, mm -hmm. as you continue, because at the end of the day, you can profit share a certain amount of your services, but you can't just keep going up in commission like that. You can't just give an extra percent or two off of your bottom line. The only yeah. way to effectively grow is to up increase prices once they have, you know, retained a clientele. And then yeah. that way, the great thing is, is whenever we do a price increase, none of my team are going, oh, I don't want to do a price increase. I'm worried. They're like, fuck yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. They're like, I'm worth it. Like, I need, you know, like the, everybody gets a raise when we do, uh, when we do that. And, you know, we've had to, I've had to raise my prices. My, when I started on my own, my haircuts were $50. Mm -hmm. Now they're 165, you know, yeah. it, um, and we have to have that. Like there, there would be no point in me running a business like this with this much risk. If we, you know, if we didn't have our prices set the way that they were. And like we've said before, there's, there's such a small amount at the end of the day. I always tell my team, like, um, you know, when people want to go out on their own and I'm like, if you want to go out on your own, like the way that we've set up and the, and the amount that we profit share with them, mm. they would make less money going out on their own. I know yeah. they did because I was making like, you know, I was making $45,000 a year when I started yeah. on my, you know, when I was doing it by myself and it took me till I think I had six employees to be able to make a hundred grand a year. Yeah. Right. It took a while, you know, and um, when the whole reason and what we do this with with our staff retention is like, 
you know, we set it up so that they make a good amount of profit, more profit than they would be on their own. But then they mm -hmm. have support, they have apprentices, they have receptionists, they really are kind of in charge of their own columns. But we have online, you know, everything's online booking anyways. Um, and they want to be there making money like they they hate it if their day falls apart. And there's like, yeah, there's not clients to do and stuff like it's boring. You're just stuck at work, exactly. not working, you know. Um, yeah. so I just, I think that having that's been really like important is as much as people will say, I'm not here for the money. The end of the day, we don't get up and work. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I could think like, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't getting paid. You know? like, the shit. And it's not the money. It's like what you can do with the money and the freedom that that gives you and the experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like setting up your, your life, you know, money is just like a tool for us mm -hmm. to be able to do things and um, create life experiences and things like that. Um, and unfortunately, exactly. none of those things are free. So um, yeah, so I think like being able to set up my team so that they could like basically feel like they're still kind of working for themselves in a way that they have that mm -hmm. sense of ownership, that they're in charge of how much they're making. You know, if they want to, um, you know, if they want to increase their prices or develop um, a faster way to do yeah. things or, you know, that they get to really be financially in charge or if they want to just chill and they don't care that much and they are a little bit slower or whatever, um, that they can kind of be as well, but yeah. it really just, I think it just naturally motivates you um, as it just motivates you to do that. And knowing that like, if you do the math and I was talking to one of the girls about this a little while ago that she was like, you know, like I've done the math. I know mm -hmm. that it would be better if I went on my own because mm -hmm. there's no way I could bring in this amount of money and, you know, and I say, like, think about somebody on like a hundred grand a year. Um, even if you were profiting 50%, you'd have to be doing 200 grand a year worth of hair. And yeah. how are you going to do $200,000 worth of hair on your own? Yeah. You just, you exactly. can't, you know? know. And so then you're going to have to hire a team. And then yeah. you're not going to be making that money because you're going to have to pay them at least 50 grand a year. So yeah. that's for your first, you know, for a very like underqualified person, like that's on that anyway. So, um, yeah, I try to really, I think, um, talk to my staff openly about money and having those conversations and things. So they, so they kind of understand that. I think the hardest thing sometimes is like, you're saying it and sometimes you feel like the world is against you in thinking that you're just full of shit and that it's mm -hmm. not real. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not telling you this just to like scare you from going out on your own because I need you. Yes, I need you. I want you here. But it's annoying yeah. to me to think that you would go like, you know, to um, it'd be annoying to to lose that person because they truly thought that they would make more money on their own, you know? Yeah. And it's exactly. like, if you really want to make more money, you've got to really be prepared to like to have then a team and put in the work and be working like 80 hours a week, probably for your first few years while you're, you know, getting yourself organized. Um, but yeah, so I think like just having that like open communication with my team always, like I'm a very, I don't really leave anything, um, like behind closed doors, you know, I'm very open with, with that. I'm open when, you know, if we have money stresses or things are happening, like people know, you know, we do know about it because I want to be real with people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to pretend like that this, that this job is just, um, you know, made me a millionaire and, and you know, and I, cause it looks, sometimes people come in and it's like this, busy booming salon and you think oh, she must just be fucking raking it in no, and it's not the way me. you know no. yeah but I, I do know. feel like sometimes people assume that and I just like to be real with people about what that actually you know looks like um and that people like us I think you know even though we were doing it we're obviously working for money because we need it but we're doing it because we actually 
love like the roller coaster and the ride and the journey and the growth and everything that we get from doing this. Yeah. Because if it was, um, yeah, if it was just about the money, we'd probably be in a different industry. Absolutely. I think like it's hard with social media because messages will be put out there. Like even, you know, make six figures as a, as a hairdresser, you see a lot of that come out of America, for example. Yeah. yeah. Make a hundred thousand. And it's just like, okay, that's, um, what do you mean revenue? Do they mean revenue? No, I don't think so. I, I, because they, they're not clear on what actually is profit. It's like, it's not necessarily yeah. a hundred thousand profit. Yeah. It's easy to make a hundred thousand dollars in sales, but once you yeah. take out your expenses and your overheads and color and everything, unless you do want to get um, an assistant and work or work with an apprentice or something, and obviously that comes with so much more responsibility and added overheads, especially when we're getting into things like superannuation or having a space to work out of and paying for that space to bring in team members. Like there's just so much ambiguity, I think, and it can get tricky. So it is so important to communicate um, with our teams. I think that's something, I think that's something that I've definitely learned as a salon owner. And I think many salon owners have, and the best ones or the ones that will go the furthest are the ones that teach their team about all of that sort of stuff and are transparent about, okay, well, you, you know, you see this, let's look at this number, but this is actually what it all looks like because so much of it is smoke and mirrors. And then there's just yeah. these expectations that are so, um, they're just so blown, blown out of the water. They're, and it's because we don't have a full understanding of, or our team won't have a full understanding of what that actually looks like, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, um, that's really important for sure. What are some things that you've found to be like the biggest challenges for you in salon ownership over the years? I know there's probably so um, many. Yeah. Um, probably like when you have outside of work changes in your life and mm -hmm. adapting to that. So me having kids, you know, yeah. having kids and then navigating, um, navigating that um, with still having a business and not being able to people go, oh, how was your mat leave? I'm like, my mat leave like I was fucking posting on social media when I was having my baby in the hospital I was on the phone to China <laughs> somebody quit somebody quit while I was while I was having a cesarean you know like it's just like it doesn't end right no. so um I think just navigating that and I think you know now that I've been doing it as long as I have um I hate my hair like that um, changing, um, like you're changing your, yourself changing in your own growth. And then mm -hmm. one thing that can be really hard when you have long-term employees is you're changing and you're growing. And if they're not coming with you and they're not on the same path, it can be really challenging, right? So mm -hmm. maybe you want to do things differently than you did like five years ago and they either want things to stay the same or maybe they're going through their own changes as well. Um, and I find that can be difficult, like navigating that as you change and as you, you know, you have kids and now these things are more important. And my time off, um, like in my time with my kids is like so precious because I don't get very much of that and trying to just like restructure my business to now suit my new life of having mm -hmm. kids. Right. And so that has been a, a big one. And then also probably the the uh, last year was the, not last year, the year before. So it was two years ago, just the other day, my dad had a stroke and it left him paralyzed with only able to say one word, which is yes, thank God. It could have been no, but, <laughs> and he is in a care home, um, which is like, somewhere that I have nightmares about. Um, they're still in Canada. He was looking after my mom who has severe um, aggressive Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And so when I got the call, I remember it was December 10th, two years ago, and I was out at breakfast with my husband and I didn't know if my dad was going to make it. And I feel like my 
whole, even though they don't live here, but to have to go through that and not be anywhere near your family and have two small kids and not know what you should do in that situation. Anyways, fast forward through the next year and to like, to go through a tr the trauma of that, um, you know, it's like now I say literally there's like worse things in life than dying because that's what he's been left like. It's the, it's the worst. And having to navigate um, being a business owner and still having like empathy for your team over small shit, that yeah. was really hard for me because every time like somebody would have a complaint or something would be happening, I guess for me, it was like, um, you know, it was really hard for me to come from a place of caring and understanding um, of stuff that I really deemed as like didn't matter um, yeah. and was like either superficial or stupid. And um, it took me a while to like really, I guess, reconnect with myself. And that is like, you know, someone's hard day is still someone's hard day, regardless of what it is about. And um, yeah, navigating going through like a family trauma with small kids was definitely the hardest year of my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, it was not okay. And because I'm, I come across as a really strong, confident person, I can talk the shit all the time and whatever. And, um, you know, what people don't see behind closed doors. Um, yeah, I was not okay. And I, I'm still not okay sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it's like something that haunts me now. Um, but the repercussions on that to my business and what that did to my business the next year. So that next year I had to go back home to Canada for three months where I left my business completely. The time yeah. difference there is so whack because it's yeah. 14 hours ahead. I couldn't do anything here. Like I would be talking to people here at seven o'clock at night there where, where the sounds already closed. Like I just wasn't even like a part of it. And I think it kind of, as much as like people be like, Oh yeah, we're fine here. It's fine. Like they still left. Like I'm definitely still the main character in my salon. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm the one that started the culture, just me being there once a week on a Saturday on the floor, just like keeps that going. And I think it kind of broke them. Um, even though they would probably never really admit that that's what happened. But I ended up losing three of my core people yeah. a couple months after I got back. Um, you know, and two of them, one of them moved on and did her own thing. Another one went to work on the mines. Um, and another one that had been working there for like seven years um, is left and she's had kids and everything. And that that's fine. But I definitely think um, when I think about it and I think about what, I was able to do that year before it was like, I just wasn't the same business owner as I was previous years. Like there's no doubt about it. And I think like having to also have compassion, like for myself now and, and not just like, you know, obviously I'm like, fuck, I feel like I fucked up, but like, I had no way around that, you know, like no. it was so unexpected um, and you can't, you know, at the end of the day, whether you have a business or an econ brand or, or whatever it is, like you, your, your health is going to come first one day, you know, and when it's down and something happens to you and nothing else fucking matters anymore. And yeah. all the other stuff that we're doing is like so superficial. And when something happens, like something tragic happens in your family, you really, every, nothing matters anymore. I didn't give a flying fuck about the salon mm -hmm. for the whole year. I was like, should I sell it? Should I burn it down? I don't give a flying fuck. I don't want to be here, you know? And, but I still like, you know, would have days where I'd go into the salon and I'd work and I'd still have those happy days. and would just like, keep me yes. going because at the end of the day, when I started my salon, I loved the feeling of working inside it and what I created. And so I think it was still like my happy place. And mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. But it was really, really hard to just get through that. And, um, and also just having team that you thought like, you know, the people that I'd left, I, I honestly thought that they were like, you know, my kids call them all aunties, mm. you know, now I don't see them anymore. Yeah. And so. that was, um, another like loss and like a devastating loss to me. Yeah. 
Um, and just realizing that, you know, that whether or not it's because you did something wrong or that you just grew apart or that you were just connected because of your business, um, that like your business has to keep going on, even if yeah. you don't want to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I had to really re-navigate that. And this last year has been really been all about just like rebuilding and but like I said before about having people that are gone that have been there for a long time, I really started to really realize that like that that gives you the opportunity when you have that turnover and when those things happen, you have the opportunity to rebuild your brand and do what you want without the pushback from yeah. other people. So there's definitely like a massive silver lining in it. And I think from going through that and learning that is what's really now helped me develop what I'm about to develop and release like for other people, because I'm doing these digital downloads and tools for people. I want people to feel less threatened by team leaving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially when you really rely on somebody to be doing things in your business, um, I think it's a really dangerous thing to be doing is giving, you know, people too much, um, too much responsibility in the fact that if they're gone, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, like you need to be setting up your business that if somebody were to leave, you're not up ship Creek. And it doesn't mean that you're now doing all their jobs, you know, like having it um, better systems in place and stuff. But, and I feel like I'd only, would really get to that point if I had gone through something that would force me to change the way I was doing things. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it was really hard. I definitely like last year, there was a couple of times where I was just like, I'm done. I'm out. And, and also really hard because I've have done. So the econ brand that I started in the midst of the trauma, which was definitely a like, I've got five minutes free and I don't want to have to fucking think yeah. about what's really going on in my family. So let's yeah. just stop every single minute yeah, of yeah. my life with something else, you know? And I think that's definitely like a coping mechanism for myself is like being busy. You know, I'm not a lying in bed eating ice cream kind of girl. I'm kind of like, <laughs> let's go to China. Let's find be productive all the time. I, yeah. I am definitely that way as well. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> Sometimes people say they, they're like, oh, you're so lucky and, and you think like this or, you know, you're always go, go, go. And you have so many ideas. And I'm like, try being inside my brain. It's not yeah. a relaxing place. No. You know? <laughs> I know. I And you can't stop it. Like, I can't help it. Things just kind of thumb down to me. I, I'm not oh, sure. And I'm like, have to. I'm the same. And I'm like, I just wish I could clone myself so I could give that person, the jobs. And that's where I'm at. And that's where I'm trying to go now is like, I really need more people underneath me mm -hmm. so that I can grow and direct and not be doing the cleaning up the little messes and putting out fires every day when something happens, you know, yeah. like I just need to get rid of that. And I have a lot of it, but I'm just, um, yeah, I'm trying to now hire somebody in my e-com brand that's going to basically manage the manage the business because we've built it to a level where I can now do that um, mm -hmm. and be able to grow because otherwise you get stuck. It's like, I'm sure, like, do you remember when you first hired your first employee, like how scary that was? Yeah. Like, yeah. you're like, I don't know if I can afford to, but I can't mm -hmm. afford not to, you yeah. know? And I think that the only way to to grow is to have those, you know, the other things underneath you and your your whether it's your systems or your people um, to do that. So, um, but yeah, I think in the yeah in a nutshell, the last the last two years was very hard, um, mm -hmm. but so many like lessons on that, and so much like so much growth and personal growth. Um, yeah. in that and, you know, opportunity and, and able to restructure and stuff. And, and that's something I kind of really want to, I guess, talk to people about and why I make my new, my new product is called quit proof. Um, and I just want to openly talk to people about 
the, you know, about all the feelings and the cycle that comes through when people leave you and people quit and how that feels. Um, and it doesn't matter how long somebody has been with you for or how long you've been doing this job for, it still sucks. It really and, like, yeah. and I, I think if you get to a point where it means nothing to you anymore, mm. like, do you really want to have that disconnect with your business anyways? You know, exactly. like, have good you to say yeah. Yeah. So we're just really, um, yeah, I really want to build, I guess, like a community of, um, of people that have that, have that support to, you know, when you're going through those, like trying those trying times, um, and feeling like, you know, that other people aren't very open and honest, like nobody talks about like people actually quitting and what that actually feels like. I think, I think a lot of people feel like, like on socials, I'm someone who really likes to be transparent. So sometimes I feel like I can post things and they can be a little bit spicy, but I yeah. actually think yeah. what a lot of people think, I think everyone's just afraid to speak up and share what they actually go through um, in the fear that they're going to be like cancelled or, or judged. Yeah. And as yeah. a salon owner, like, I mean, it would be lovely if we could all be like, yeah. Like deep down we know that people are going to leave for their own reasons at different times and we want to be supportive of that, absolutely. Yeah. But it's like the stress and what's underneath that when that happens and what it means from a business perspective yeah. is a lot and it can be, oh, it's just, it turns things on its head completely. Yeah. And so you're trying to like grin and bear it and you're trying to smile yeah. and you want to be yeah there for that person but you also have to be really strict in your policies and you have to like yeah. you know we can't just bend over backwards and be like oh yeah you know client details and stuff for example is a huge yeah. one yeah. where I feel yeah. like salon owners are afraid I know that I'm seeing a lot of stuff out of America where it's like um you know you should give all that sort of stuff to the stylist and it just honestly grinds my gears because but it's illegal oh I know well the other thing is like America and Australia is so different in so many ways. Uh, so I get yeah. frustrated when we take so much inspiration from them. And also because totally. our stylists are looking at these accounts thinking, well, that should be how it works for me. But employment laws are so different in Australia. Laws are entirely different. And as yeah. a salon owner, yeah. we carry so much risk. So it's like, where did the support and love go for salon owners? And I do think that the industry got some things wrong you know, I, I know when I was an apprentice, like coming up, it was tough. It's a tough, in, it was a tough industry to be in. And I think we've grown so much. So I think that's kind of where a lot, a lot of that, um, I don't know, like, I don't want to say hatred. That's too strong. Yeah. A word. yeah. You're probably like, right. I think that's where the like stylist versus salon owner kind of mentality came from. And I really, hate that because it's so unproductive and so having conversations I mean like the one that we're having today it's so amazing to just kind of um create a space for even even this because salon owners you know tune into my podcast every single week and to hear conversations like this is just so it's so comforting because you know that you're not alone and you know that you're just you're you're human and going through salon ownership is so intense and it's so challenging and yeah. It's hard when you, you know, we do absolutely need to build our salons off systems, but we're in the business of humans as well. So, like, it's a lot to to nut out and get right. So just, yeah, thank you so much for, like, sharing all of that and being so vulnerable and open about your story because that is just, I think that's so healing and so many people are going to adore that. <laughs> I think people forget that like most salon owners was the hairdresser that you had a good time with at another salon at some point. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we were all employees now. And I feel like when, you know, a lot of people have gone out on their own and there's been this big movement of people going out on their own. There's also now I find I've got a lot of people that are coming back that have gone out on their own it wasn't for them that they apply they were doing freelance it's not for them and i think once we get you know those people trying it deciding it's not for them and then you know realizing that um 
I feel like our newer talent owners like today, we're all trying. It's like the same thing as being a mom. We're just trying not to fuck everybody up. You know, we're just like, we're trying to do the right thing. We want to be the friends. We want to pay them well. We want them to stay. Like this is part of our dream. Our dream was never to have conflict with our staff. Nobody wants that, you know? And um, I think like, I think really having, you know, just having open, honest conversations with other business owners doing stuff. I love doing podcasts and things like this because it's um, just fun to do that. So I'm starting my podcast. Um, I've just started a TikTok for it, but um, I'm starting a podcast. It's called The Salon Rebel. And I love that name. It's basically about, yeah, I'm going to be like, hey, rebels, you know? Um, But it's basically about how I felt like I was, I always kind of felt like an outcast in our industry. And I never really felt like I knew where I fit in. And even when I go to big events now, like you go to, you know, the hair expos and the things, and there's always the same people at them. There's the mm-hmm. same people in this, and then there's the same people, you know, then there's people that are big in the influencer world that are, you know, really that's their jam is that. And I'm like, I'm neither that person and I'm neither this other person, but I'm still a very successful business owner and like I'm more of an entrepreneur than I am a hairdresser or in the industry like it's not I'm not the kind of person that's like you know I just love our industry that's not me like I'm not just like the industry I mean I love our industry but I also hate it you know I hate something about it so um but I feel like there's a lot of people I feel like there's almost more people like me than there is like the others that we think that we should be like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's a lot more people that feel uncomfortable in these going to these events in these situations. They don't feel like they're cool enough to fit in or when they go and talk to somebody that they've been fangirling and they kind of give them the cold shoulder and they realize that these people are just putting on a facade and they're not that nice. And not that they, not that they all aren't or anything, but it's like, you know, then they go, oh, you feel like, oh, maybe I don't, I don't really fit into here. And um, it's basically about starting like a community of having those like open conversations about even like the, I think the hurt and the things that we've gone through in our industry and things that we've been a part of that have like shaped where we have gone, where we are at and how we have done things. I've always done things very different. Um, I feel like as soon as, you know, it's like I purposely do things different um, because I, I don't want to be like other people, but I do feel like a lot of people are the same in that way. It's like, we want to, you know, we want to walk to the beat of our own drum and we want to um, make impact and inspire people. And it's going to come at a cost of not everybody liking us, but I, um, I just think that there's definitely like I want those really more open conversations about things that we go through and the and the happy times, but also the pain and stuff that we face as business owners in, you know, having this childhood dream isn't to walk in the fucking park. You know, mm-hmm. it's like my dream was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, you know, not Absolutely. just um, showing up. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited just like for that and to share. And I feel like it's going to be for me starting a podcast. I don't know if it's the same for you. Like it's to me is a bit or on my own, like emotional healing and that mm-hmm. and a place to be able to connect with people if they want to. And if they don't want to, that they don't listen, you know, yeah. so you, just building that community of people that just are on, on the same page. Yeah. I honestly think it's my favorite platform. Like Instagram, I find I have a love-hate relationship with. TikTok, I have, I'm avoidant, yeah. but I probably should go down that route because when I look at how yeah. many people subscribe yeah. through my TikTok, it's a lot more than my Instagram. But um, podcasting is just such a genuine way to reach people and yeah. the amount of people who listen to it. And when I, I was just pulling the results from this year and seeing where people are listening from, and it's so cool to be able to yeah, that's be so cool. ears when they're on the other side of the world. And especially when people reach out and say to you, like, thank you so much for this episode. And like, I felt so alone and this really inspired me. It's so, so rewarding. So I think that is going to go off and yeah, just, just being able to share 
the other side of salon ownership and to be really raw and honest in that space everyone yeah. is going to absolutely you know be here for it so i will link all of that in the show notes um before we say goodbye to you today i would love to know like what's next for you obviously you've got the podcast happening and you're um sorry so the down the tools to help salon owners del like delegate no. The business is called The Biz Tool Boutique. Cool. So I haven't launched it yet. By the time this is out, it might have been launched. It's probably going up this week. Um, So it's called The Biz Tool Boutique. And then I'll have my podcast, The um, Salon Rebel. Um, And basically, I'm just this year, this next year for me is just about I guess really being able to spend more time doing the things that I want to be doing and getting rid of all the things that I don't. I did a lot of that last year, but I'm just doing even more so and really getting um, clear on the things that I want to do in my work week. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, really just fine tuning that and finding space for me to do the podcast for me to work on the digital products and to be able to help people and really just like making um, impact in our industry and growing that community. And yeah, just seeing, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not a big goal setter. So I don't really have like, I don't really set goals, I guess, to me, it's just like constantly what's just like the next thing and the next thing. Cause I just don't feel like there's like an end for me, (laughs) you know? So it's just like, (laughs) I'm like, this is the next thing I'm going to do. And then I'll think of something else as soon as it's done. So yeah, I'm just wanting to really, um, I think going through all the stuff, knowing that life's short and really wanting to just be more present when, you know, when, when I am at home and, and trying to get rid of some things that, um, that kind of tie me, tie me down that I can, um, hand, hand over to somebody else. And that, um, is basically the goal for me, but I have absolutely loved seeing your Instagram. I love all your, all, all your posts and stuff. Every time you say stuff, I was like, it's exactly how I think, you know, and I think it's really, it's really nice. I love that you're just to, you know, having those honest, um, you know, those honest conversations and saying things that, maybe not everybody will agree with, but I feel like that's the kind of stuff that people need to hear that are too afraid Mm -hmm. to speak up and talk about the, you know, the realness of, um, of owning, owning a business. And um, yeah, you know, like trying to like give the salon owners a little fucking love too, you know, because we need it. We do need it. We're employing so many people and putting people back into our industry and keeping our industry alive. Like we need to support salon owners unless everybody wants to go to a home salon. And I don't think that's right, you know? So I think it's, um, I think it's good to just connect with other salon owners and um, do what you're doing. It's really cool to see. Yeah, we definitely have to do like one of these again, um, or I'll have to come on your podcast. Or yeah, yes, I would love. I'll get you on my. I'll get you on mine soon. I would love that. We'll have some wine next time. Yeah, yes, sounds good. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I'm so sure much. you know I like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll put all the links to everything that you're yeah. up to in the show notes, and I'll wait until it all launches so that people can yeah. click through and check everything out. But thank you so, so much for today. I appreciate it so much.